0: The Lord sent Samuel to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me out from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered at your altar.
1: Social media. Most of us are in, aren't we? It's an amazing tool. But the truth is, as we would all know, it's got its dark sides too. People nowadays hide behind their screens and say mean things to other people. We have seen presidents do it, we have seen priests do it, and we've seen prisoners do it. So in parliament, in the parishes, and even in the prisons, people are texting busily, tweeting mean things to other people. Now the comments I'm interested in today are judgments, the judgments people pass on other people on on social media or anywhere else. Isn't it amazing how people judge other people even the queen, people can, you know, see mean and bad things in judgment. Why did she do this and that and that and da and And it keeps going on and on. And people are ready to dig out other people's pasts so they can point accusing fingers at them. And the funny thing is, we all have guilt. We're all guilty in one way or another. We've all done some wrongs. And as the saying goes, when you're pointing a finger at someone, remember, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. Now, just imagine this. If all you've ever done had been projected live, online, for everyone to see, would you ever point an accusing finger at someone? I doubt not. Probably not. No one. Well, I wouldn't because I know my secret sins. Now, instead of pointing accusing fingers at others, what the Bible encourages us to do is actually to reflect on ourselves and most importantly, to repent. To repent. Now if there is anything the passages Julie read to us is saying, if if, if it's screaming for anything, what the passages are screaming out, uh, reflect on your own sins and repent. That's what this passage is screaming at us for. So in that the past few months, we have been doing, looking at the book of Samuel. We've been doing a series on Samuel. It's been going on for quite a while, and it's been such a blessing. And we've seen how God's people, Israel, rejected God as their king. They, they, they weren't interested in God being their king anymore. They've seen other nations with kings, so they wanted a king. So God gave them a king, Saul. Now Saul comes to the throne, and very quickly, it becomes apparent that Saul is no perfect person at all. He has big flaws. His biggest fall came when he was reprimanded, he was rebuked for disobedience, and bluntly he just carried on. He didn't repent, he didn't sort of um, um, turn from his ways. He kept going on. Now Saul got out of the story, and then we had another king, David. David comes on the scene through very unlikely events, ascends the throne, and for the first time, everyone thinks, oh, wow, we have a great king. You know, we have someone who is going to lead us into sort of a great future, where God wants us to be. But as we saw last week, um, that wasn't the case. Even though David had everything going for him, he loved God. He feared God. The people loved him. He had great riches. He, I, I mean... Almost everything was going from dust, like at the pinnacle of success. But then something happens, and David also falls. So last week we saw David's heart was not pure, as we would expect, and he wasn't the perfect king. He neglected his duty, converted somebody's wife, committed um, adultery, committed murder, and he was actually trying to hide everything as well. And Mike explained last week that David committed some adultery. And and, and he classified them in three categories. He, he he committed spiritual adultery, heart adultery, and physical adultery. Now, I'm not going to go into all that. But the reason why I'm saying it is, if you've not listened to last week's sermon, please, 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 please listen to it. It, it, was, it was really good, and it was very, very helpful. So please have a listen. Today's sermon, actually, is a continuation of what we saw last week. So last week, David fell. But today, he repents. That's what we are going to see. David repents. And through these passages, three key themes stand out. The first is, David is given a reality check on his life. He did all these. He was hiding them, but he was given a reality check. Once he had the reality check, he then decides to repent. So he repents. And then eventually, he had to pay for His sins, well, he didn't do some of it, but then there was remission. So we have reality check, repentance, and remission. That's what we'll be looking at. So let's start with the first one reality check. Please turn with me to the first passage, 1 Samuel, so that's 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 7. God sends the prophet Nathan to David with a message. So Nathan goes to David. Now, David as a king, he would usually administer justice. So people would come with him with cases and he would decide, well, you are right, you are wrong, and so on and so forth. So Nathan, in his wisdom, comes with such a case to David. There are two men living in a town. One is very rich and the other is poor. The rich man had many flock, flocks and heads and the rich man, the poor man had just one. One ewe lamb he loved and nourished so much. Actually, he even treated the ewe lamb like um, his daughter. The rich man had a guest. And instead of preparing one of his many sheep, he goes in for the poor man. He says, you know what, I'm having this. takes it, prepares it for his guest. Before Nathan could go any further, David erupts with an outburst. His anger goes through the roof and his mouth opens to utter these words look at verse five and six as surely as the lord lives that means without fail well in Jesus' terms very very let's say to you the man who did this must die he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity david was so angry he got careless with his words i believe now, what did the man do? I mean, the, 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 the rich man in the story, what did he do to warrant death? He stole one sheep. Why should he die for one sheep? You see, the thing is, according to the law in Exodus 22, if any man did something like the rich man did, what the person would do is to pay four times over. That was it. Simple. Not death. Why death? Anyway, David was too harsh with his judgment, and this was an unjust judgment for the man unjust but I believe Nathan was very happy with what David did anyway because that was where he was trying to drive David to and David just pronounced the judgment at this point I believe David was so eager to know who this rich man was so that what he said would happen the man would die and he would pay four times over but to his surprise Nathan said these words you are the man you are the man Now, I'm sure American friends here would agree with me that in America, if you're told you're the man, you know, it means, man, you're great, you're brilliant, you are, you know, you are fantastic. But this, you're the man here, (laughs) um, didn't go down well. It terrified David. Next time someone says you're the man, you should ask, um, what do you really mean? (laughs) Anyway, but this, you're the man, terrifies David to the core. This point... It's where David's jaw drops to the floor. His eyes are wide open in disbelief. And he's wondering, but, 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 when did this happen? I haven't done this. I would never do this. This is, no, this is outrageous. I couldn't do this. But David's head drops in shame when he's told that the story actually is an allegory of his secret sinful life last week we heard of his secret sinful for life. So I'll, I'll just give a quick recap of that secret sinful for life for those who aren't here. David, instead of being in battle with his army, actually stayed back home and decided to sort of um, wander around doing nothing. Now, as they say, um, the devil finds work for idle hands. So the devil got him a job and he gladly took it. There was a Beautiful woman going about her own business somewhere. David saw this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he ordered her into his palace. Bathsheba comes, he sleeps with her, she gets pregnant. Now, wanting to hide his shame, David actually orchestrated things to murder Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who was actually fighting for him. Now, these events were the events Nathan was referring to. David understood it clearly and giving one caution from last week's sermon was if david could do this we can too and i've been thinking about that for quite a while if david could do this we can too now you may be sitting and wondering adam you know what i would never do that i may covet a little bit but i would never commit murder and i would never commit adultery really Dear friends, God's standards are so high, we need a reality check ourselves. We need a reality check. The scale we use in judging and measuring our actions and intents are totally different from God's scale. Sometimes our definition of what is good actually is fundamentally flawed. About five years ago, my wife and I used to run a soup kitchen and uh, we had a lot of people coming in. Uh, It got to the point when we thought, you know what, we'll not just run a soup kitchen. We will have um, a Bible study for those who want to sort of get to know um, what Christianity is about and all that. So we started another sort of um, meeting in the evenings for people who wanted to know about Christianity. One day, we were having a session on love. So I asked, what do you do to show love to other people? There was this guy in the room who just sat talked about what he was going to say and said, you know what, I buy weed for my friends. I said, what? So, well, I didn't say what in front of him, but in my mind, I was thinking, in my mind, I was thinking, I mean, <laughs> I, I was just thinking about this thing. Who could possibly love someone by technically killing the person? It didn't make sense to me. See, that was how he showed love, and, and I understand that, but I, I thought in my thinking... That was actually fundamentally flawed. We need a standard scale that is devoid of biases, that is devoid of preferences, that is devoid of our experiences to weigh our actions and our intentions. The only scale the Bible recommends is actually the word of God, which is the Bible. The Lord sent his word through Nathan to David. It was the word that went, his word. That's what we need for a reality check. When we realize the gravity of our actions, trust me, we would be shocked. Now, here are some Bible verses for a reality check. Maybe you're thinking, oh, this is far fetched. It, it, it would never affect me. I, I'm, 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 I'm perfect. I'm okay. I'm right. Reality check. Let's look at these verses Matthew 5, Frankie, if you want, yeah. Matthew 5, 21, 22. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Did you see that? That actually means that anger, and we know from other parts of the Bible over a prolonged period of time, like the sun setting down on your anger and all that. Anger is the same. That's the judgment for anger is the same for that of murder. According to Jesus, not me saying Another one for you, reality check. Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This means lust and adultery are fundamentally the same. They come from the same place and they have the same weight. You may not physically commit murder. Um, sorry, uh, uh, adultery but pornography is heart adultery. Overstepping your relationship boundary with another person in church, at work, wherever, is adultery. It's heart adultery. This goes for both men and women, everyone. So God's, way, God's skills are quite sensitive, and they, are, they may not be what we are used to. Another one for you, 1 John 3:15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Wow. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Anyone who hates another person is a murderer. What? You don't need to physically kill someone to be classed a murderer. That's why he's saying the sin of hatred weighs the same as murder. Goodness. If God is confronting you on a particular sin, it could be anything spiritual apathy. Backbiting, gossip, saying things behind other people's back, whatever. If God is confronting you against anything and you're refusing to repent, see what first 1 Samuel 15:23 says about that. Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is an iniqu- is an iniquity and idolatry. So being stubborn to God in one way or another, it's even weighty far weightier than you think that has got weight these are harsh words from the bible and to be to be frank we don't want to hear these things these are not things we want to hear the truth is you can hide your sin from everyone in the world but you can't hide it from the lord he sees it he knows it if you have any secret sin my friend you're the man you're the woman you are the man you are the woman knowing that we are broken and imperfect has a way of humbling us doesn't it it breaks you a reality check reveals our weaknesses and we respond in one way or another either we accept it like Saul sorry like David or we reject it like Saul David chooses to accept it and to repent he actually repented so this leads us to our second point repentance now i don't think repentance is a word most people are familiar with because trust me i give you five minutes go to andale or any shopping center five minutes you're standing. People will just bump into you, say sorry, and walk away. I mean, if you're lucky, they might look you in the face while they're saying sorry. If you're not lucky, that's it. They just, In fact, sometimes they just bump into you, holding their phones, just going like that, bump into you, sorry, and then keep going. The next minute, they'll do the same to the next person. bump, sorry. Then they keep going. You're wondering, are, are they really sorry? No, do they, do they mean what they say? But, 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 but that's the thing. Saying sorry means nothing to a lot of people. People don't really understand what repentance is. They've not repented of what, of, 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 they didn't mean those words. But today, we get to know what true repentance is in David's story. We get to understand what it means, and we get to know what it involves. Now, if you have your Bibles, I don't know if you've closed it, but Psalm 51. So we're going to jump to Psalm 51 now, where actually David breaks down in repentance, in sorrow, in agony of heart, and he cries out to the Lord. And David does it very simply with an A, B, C, D, E step. So Frank, if you can put it up. First, David approaches God, and then he acknowledges he's broken. And then he asks God to cleanse him and acknowledges his dependence on God. Then finally, he turns a new leaf and decides to live an exemplary life. So we'll go through these. Approach, brokenness, cleansing, dependence, and exemplary. We are going to be here for a long time, I tell you. So let's start with the first one, approach. We are not told exactly when Psalm 51 was written, but we are told for sure that It was written in response to what Nathan told David. So David repents. Now the first one, Psalm 51 verse 1. David approaches God and he cries, Have mercy on me, O God. In the spirit of humility and sorrow, David is asking for mercy from the Lord. He did not blame the Lord for making Bathsheba beautiful to attract him. No, people blame other people for their faults. He didn't do that. In fact, he did not even kill the prophet and then cover the sin because people like to cover sins. He didn't go further to kill the prophet. No, he could have. Kings did things like that those days. He could have. No, but he approached God. Now, why does he approach God? Verse 1 and 2 again tells us why. Because God's love is unfailing. And his compassion is great. David knew these two things. God's love is unfailing unfailing i can always go to him yes i've messed up big time but where else can i turn to his love is unfailing i'm going to him his compassion is great i'm going to him he turns to god not away from god the second is brokenness david acknowledges that he was imperfect he was broken and he uses three biblical words to describe his brokenness now look again to verse one and two Blot out my transgressions Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Transgressions, iniquity, sin. What do these things mean? Again, I'm going to give a brief explanation of these things, not detailed at all. Transgression means violation of trust or betrayal of relationship, basically. David betrayed Uriah, one of his trusted soldiers, one of his close soldiers. Betrayed while Uriah was out in the battle fighting for him david was at home converting his wife and plotting to kill him that is betrayal that's that is betrayal iniquity means crookedness perversion or moral distortion david had many wives and he could have had more if he wanted uriah had just one but david went for uriah's wife that is morally perverse that that it was like David's moral compass was warped. It was, it was broken. It was so perverse. It was so bad. That is iniquity. Sin. Sin just means missing the mark. Failure to love God and other people in a, in a, in a God-glorifying way. And it starts actually from birth. So if you see verse 5, it says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So David acknowledged his brokenness. He had trespassed, he had sinned, and he had committed iniquity, brokenness. Now let's go to the third, clean sin. As I mentioned earlier, we used to run a soup kitchen a few years ago. So um, I'll give you another story from the soup kitchen. One evening, while we were doing the same sort of evening uh, Bible study or Christianity explores kind of thing, we had this guy sitting among the participants. And actually, the guy looked really scary. He was one guy who, I mean, you know, there are these people, you see them, and you, are, and you are scared, that sort of thing. That was the way the guy just was. He was very quiet, but he was scary. And he had a small mark under his eye, and I was told it means you've killed someone. So that even made it scarier. And then we we were... Talking about the Bible, but we're telling this guy as well, you know, about Christianity, you know, need to become a Christian and all that and, and all that. And we're trying to get him to become a Christian, how silly our method was. But it was crude. But this guy wouldn't budge. So he goes home. The next week he comes. And he comes back with an amazing story. He said one evening he was in the shower and he felt God telling him, God was clean, cleansing him or cleaning him and washing away his sins, because you know he had prayed and repented. I, 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 I believe and things like that. And I thought, goodness me, something we tried to work out it didn't work. But in his shower, what a wonderful place to feel God cleaning you or giving you a good clean. In his shower, he felt God cleaning and cleansing him. And I tell you what, since that time, he was he's one of the very few people who came for that soup kitchen, who is still in the faith. And we still hear of him being in the faith and going to church and doing things like that. So I believe he was actually genuine. Cleaning. Cleansing. David called God to cleanse him and to wash him and to wash away his sins. Or the things he had done. There is nothing worse than being stuck in your sins, in the filth of sin and carrying the guilt as well. David knew that God was able to cleanse him. So he cried out in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now in the book of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, hyssop was a plant that was ceremonially used in cleansing people. So what they would usually do is they would dip it in blood and sprinkle it over the unclean person and the person was deemed clean. So it was sort of... um um. A medium by which the blood of a sacrifice was transferred onto a sinner to make the person clean. David was calling, cleanse me from my debt, from the sinful heart I have. Then D, dependence. Cleansing was not sufficient for living a new life, and it isn't. So David needed help to live a new life, so he asked for it. From verses 9 to 14, David depends on God for a pure heart, he depends on God for a steadfast spirit, he depends on God for God's presence, he depends on God for God's Holy Spirit, he depends on God for deliverance from the guilt of bloodshed, he depends on God for the joy of salvation, he calls out, he needs these from the Lord. Now, these are quite a lot, and we are not going to go through them all. But to summarize them all, he was asking for three basic things. He wanted a new heart, he wanted God's Spirit, he wanted joy. Why would he want a new heart? He wanted a new heart to replace the old sinful heart that was disposed to sin, iniquity, and transgressions. He wanted the Holy Spirit to empower him to overcome future temptations. And he needed the joy of salvation to replace that guilt. And that feeling of of of, of, of sin upon him. David knew he could get these, so he, he actually did ask for them. And finally, he didn't stop there. Unlike people who bump you in the street and say sorry, he actually changed. He led an exemplary life. His heart would no longer last after women, but look through the pages, it says but he would, give, he would give his heart as a sacrifice to the Lord. His lips would not call for the death of other people, but his lips would declare God's praise and will sing of God's righteousness. He would no longer sin and transgress God's law, but he will teach other transgressors and sinners to turn to the Lord. What a transformation, what a change. This is repentance. He was going to do things in the glory of God, not going the way he used to go, but in a different direction. Now, David's model of repentance is an excellent model for us today, isn't it? Great model. It's an excellent, for, excellent model for Christians who are falling into sin. And it's an excellent model also for non-Christians who whose sins have not been cleansed. So let's apply these A, B, C, D, E steps to ourselves. When we fall into sin, secret sin or open sin, we need to A, we need to approach God. We don't have to turn away from him. Sometimes when we feel the guilt of sin and the burden, we want to turn away. That's when we want to shy away from God. But no, that's when we need God the most. That is when we need God the most. We have to approach him. He is arms open wide waiting for us to come to him. Approach God. We have to acknowledge that God is good. His love is unfailing. His compassion is great. God is not there to get us when we fall. He is there to catch us when we fall. He's not there to count our sins. He's there to cleanse them when we call upon him. We have to approach him. B, we need to acknowledge that we are broken. Very important. We have to humble ourselves and admit. Humans are fundamentally broken and flawed. We are sinful from birth, as David says, and we need God's help. So we have to confess our sins to him. We have to acknowledge our brokenness and confess all our sins. See, cleanse. We need cleansing. Dear friends, what on earth has the power to cleanse us from the filth of sin? No chemical or material can purge us from our trespasses and our iniquities. We need God to cleanse us. When we call on him, he will purge us. D, dependence. We need to depend on God to overcome future sins. We need to depend on God for a new heart to live new. We need to depend on God for his Holy Spirit to enable us to do what God wants us to do. And we need God to grant us that joy of salvation, that joy of knowing that we have no sin. And then finally, E, we need to live an exemplary life. Repentance is incomplete without a changed life. We need to change the way we live. So that the new lives we live will bring transgressors and sinners to God. It was Martin Luther who said in his 95 Theses that our Lord Master, Jesus Christ, when he said repent wills that the whole life of believers should be repentance repentance is something we do daily it's something we have to continuously do mr christian mrs christian is there anything in your life you need repenting of from today is there any secrecy not even open you have to confess and let go and let god if you're not a christian These steps of repentance can lead you to the most transforming life you could ever ask for. Now, let's get back to our passage, we orientate ourselves. So David repents, all well and good. Now, was that the end of the story? No, not at all. Actually, one, in one way one thing has started, ended, his repentance has ended, but the consequences are yet to come. They are on the way. So let's go to the last one, remission. When I was a little boy, we used to um, have uh, play with sticks. So usually what we'll do is we'll take a long stick and we will cut a smaller stick, well, two small sticks. We'll put one small stick at the end of the stick um, to make a tea. So you have a long stick and then a small stick at the end to make a tea. We'll put tires at the end of the small stick at the end. And then in the middle, we'll put another small stick and then hold it like that, like you're pushing a cow or whatever. And it was a toy. It was fun. It was, it was great. Now, I heard of this story where this poor lad also made one of these toys and he was playing with it. And his mom said, you know what, son? I think the way you're playing with this thing is a bit dangerous. Do you want to put it down? But this little lad said, Oh no, I'm having fun. Why you don't want me to have fun, enemy of progress. So he wanted to, you know, go ahead and do what he wanted to do. So he did it. Unfortunately for this guy, he stumbled and guess what happened? I don't even want to say. It. I know moms, moms, moms are going like this. Actually, he 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 lost an eye, that's all I can say. He he lost an eye. So then, as a good mom, you would still love your son, forgive your son care for him, nurse him, feel for him, and so on and so forth. The guy repented and all that. But guess what? The eye was still gone. He still had to pay for the consequences. They, they were still there. It didn't go when he repented. You know, he still had, he had still lost his eye. I bet after David realized that, He was the man in the story. So going back to the story, I bet when he realized that he was the man, he must have thought to himself, "Oh goodness, I'm a dead man. I am a dead man because he has pronounced judgment. The man who did this must die and must pay four times. So then he's a dead man. He needs to pay uh, well. Yes, you are four times. Yes, you are four times, and he needs to die. But." If you, if, you, if, you, if you have your Bible open in 2 Samuel, just take a, just take a look at these, these gracious words Nathan says to him in 2 Samuel 12, 13. The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. This was a big relief to David. But the consequences were still yet to come because someone else would have to die. So the child Bathsheba bore to him would die in his place. David would lose four sons in total. So in the end, he lost four sons. He had paid the penalty. Not only that, he was going to have a dysfunctional family and the sword would never depart from his house. David knew the consequences of his action would go beyond his family. They would affect his his, his country, his people. And so in verse 18 and 19, he cries out, May it please the Lord to prosper Zion to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now let's dwell on David's son dying on a bed and 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 sort of probably ended there. David does something wrong; he is deserving of death, but another person takes his place. This is what is called substitutionary death, isn't it? This is the story of the cross. Jesus, a descendant of David, who was innocent. Was nailed on the cross for the remission of the sin of all humanity. We have already established that in many ways we are like David. We have sinned. We have con- sin has consequences. Now, what are the consequences of sin? No matter how small they are. If you've read Romans 6:23, you'll be shuddering now. Romans 6:23 says, "The wages of sin is death." No matter how small the things is the penalty is death death is eternal separation from god the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone now the only way to pay for sin is through death as well someone or something needs to die without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin that means sin cannot be forgiven if there is no shedding of blood there needs to be that's just like a spiritual law but the good news today is because of God's unfailing love for us, and because of his great compassion, we don't have to die. We don't have to die. We don't have to die. Jesus died on the cross so that we will be free from the penalty of sin. The same verse that said the wages of sin is death also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now listen to these beautiful words from Colossians 2, 13 to 14. He, that is God, forgave us all our sins, having nailed, sorry, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah. Oh, that's why I should be hearing some amens here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. What an amazing God we serve. He nailed it to the cross. He's not like other gods who stands aloof and says, you know what? Suffer a bit more. Pay the price a bit more. You know what? Go and suffer. But he's that loving God who gets his hands dirty and he pays for the penalty of our sins through his only son. He has dealt with our sins. 1 Peter 24. 2.24 tells us. He has dealt with our iniquities and our transgressions. Isaiah 53.6 tells us. So our sins, transgressions, and iniquities have been dealt with on the cross. On the cross. So we can be free. Whoever Jesus sets free is free indeed. Saul refused to repent and he paid dearly with his own life. David repented and someone else took his place. Dear friends, if we refuse to repent, we would have to pay with our own dear lives. But if we turn to God and repent, and repent, we would benefit from what Jesus did on the cross. God sent his word to Nathan through David. Sorry, God sent his word to David through Nathan, the other way around. Perhaps God is sending his word to you through the sermon. Perhaps God is sending his word to you through the sermon you heard last week. Perhaps God is sending his word to you through the Bible passage you've read that has been convicting you, that, you know, is sort of hitting you. Perhaps God is sending his word through you, to you, through a brother or sister in Christ who is telling you, you know what, I think you're doing this. I don't think it's right because the Bible says it's not right. Perhaps God is sending his word through you, to you, through a child. I don't know how God is speaking to you, but if he is, then we need to repent. What would your response be? I hope it is repentance. If you want to repent, don't forget approach God, don't turn away from Him, acknowledge that you're broken, confess your sins, ask Him to cleanse you with the precious blood of Jesus, and acknowledge your dependence on the Holy Spirit. Finally, turn a new leaf and live an exemplary life. If you're here and you're struggling with a secret sin, You need to talk to someone about it, and you need to repent. The Bible encourages us to confess one to another and to repent.